I'm here to talk to you about the work that we've been doing in the NIHR in terms of transforming health research from the 19th century to the 21st century in 18 months. And uh, um, what I want to do is just talk about the principles behind what we're doing. Now, I'm not a digitally enabled person particularly, um, but the reason why I'm here is because there's as much a cultural shift that has to happen in the way that we do research as there is about the technology. So I have a lot of confidence in you, the technologist, to be able to provide us with the right technology for transforming um, healthcare and health research. But I need to talk to you about um, the cultural shift that we've got to make in the system. What this is all about is how do we make sure that the health research ecosystem that I'm responsible for, so the whole of the NIHR is the research arm of the NHS, and as such contributes 1.2 billion to the research effort in, in, in clinical research. And uh, 18 months ago, I was asked if I would lead the digital transformation. And as I say, I'm not a technologist. And the reasons are that research is changing and healthcare is changing. So we need to be really clear about the difference between personalised medicine and precision medicine. So a lot of our academics are getting very much involved in the stratification of disease and the delivery of personalised healthcare. But what we need to be clear about is what are the changes that we need to make in the way that we deliver health research that will transform the experience for patients and the outcomes for patients. We decided to do this by a consultation and we were supported by uh, members of the NIHR who went around and we talked to over 200 stakeholders in this whole discussion. Uh, and we went across the whole of the country because it's important we talk to the whole of the country. And what was most important was hearing what patients had to say about their research experience and what they wanted from us. So we've been enormously successful in the NIHR in increasing the amount of research going on in the NHS um, but um, what patients said to us were certain key issues. So if I just take the responses we got from the patient and the public that we consulted with, they love being involved in our research. They are really engaged. When Dame Sally Davis set up the NIHR 12 years ago, patients were put right at the centre of everything we do. But unfortunately, we didn't have the tools to really live that through. So patients have always said, being involved in research empowers them and makes them feel part of the process that will improve outcomes for, for other patients. So there's great altruistic reasons why patients are involved in research. But they actually said things to us also that they didn't like about the research we're involved in. And the first one was that we don't consistently say thank you to them for their involvement. And the second thing is we didn't inform them of the outcome that the research that they were involved in was. So we need to change that in the new environment. We need to be able to consistently say thank you to patients involved in research, and we need to consistently be able to say to them what the outcome of that research they're involved in. The second group of people we talked to were the, the actual research community themselves. We spoke to academics. 30% of their time is not spent doing research, it's spent administering research. So we need to transform that pathway. We spoke to um, fellow funders of researchers, both industry and uh, research charities, and they were really clear, is they don't know what research is going on in the system, and then they don't know how to track their own research through the system because it takes so long to go through that system. So we're going to work with the Health Research Authority, the MHRA, to absolutely transform that journey, and eventually to link that up with NICE so that the evidence flow goes well. We're going to easy jet that journey. 
so that you can actually see where your research is in the process, that we in increase the rapidity with which it's approved, and that we can stop having the actual researchers spending 30% of their time administering the whole process. Uh, the next group of people we talked to were the actual, not the, res not the academic researchers, but the people across the NHS that do the day-to-day -day delivery of research. We have 11,000 staff that are funded through the NIHR that on a day-to-day -day basis recruit patients into clinical studies. Um, we have clinical research nurses, uh, local PIs, we have data managers. And what did they say about the research they do? They love being involved in it, it's something different. I can't explain why, when the NHS is under so much pressure, the amount of research that's going on in the NHS has increased year on year for the last five years. It's probably because it's fun to do, and it's probably a, a good way of involving people in something that's an added extra in, 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 the, in, in their delivery of healthcare. But what did they say to us? Well, the first thing they said is that whilst we're involved in all this research, we don't thank them in a consistent way, and we don't actually tell them the outcome of the research. So we have a problem that the new research doesn't get adopted very rapidly. I'm speaking as a steam-driven pathologist that used to work in a district general hospital, I can't remember reading The Lancet and other journals on a regular basis when I was under the cosh with routine clinical work. What I need is easy access to the outcomes of the research I'm involved in as that clinician at the front line. And if I know what were the outcomes of that research, and if the patients that were involved in that research know the outcomes, the adoption and the spread of these new methodologies across the system will be much more quickly. So we need to develop a way of keeping that communication going with the individual researchers. We also need to create social networks across the system of people that are engaged and involved in that delivery. The last question we asked of patients in particular was what their response about the use of their data was. And I think that's really important. And um, we all know that there was a a huge issue with the use of data for care.data, and we've gone down the route of continuously using anonymized data. But for interventional research, that data does need to be personalized. So we talked to patients about what their response to that was. And in actual fact, they came up with the concept of data donation. And for those of you that listened to the Houses of Parliament Commons debate uh, last week, Dame Tessa Jow, she was very clear of becoming the first donor of her, data, her medical data in order to improve the outcomes of care of patients. So patients really do want to be involved in data donorship. But what they want to know is where that data is going and what that data is being used for. But if we do that, if we have that relationship with patients that we've bought, we've bought into by saying thank you to them and informing the outcomes of the research they've been involved in, their capacity and capability to donate data will increase because they need to have that feedback. So what we've done is create that environment. We started pilots, but what we were also really very clear about in the NIHR as we do this is that we need to make sure that we involve all our partners in that process because we will not have necessarily the funding that means that transformation of research can happen, but we also want to make sure that we can facilitate for those providers of the new services, the new digital therapeutic services, the opportunity to be involved in research. And here's the challenge for you, really. We already run, in the UK, uh, studies, 4,000 studies every year. 4,000 different types of clinical studies, ranging from observational studies right the way through to complex, adaptive trial, interventional studies. And what we feel is that we have got platforms that you can use 
to actually bring in these digital therapeutics. But the way we do that is not through the NIHR determining what those are. It actually has to be through partnership and development of those. But you need to know what the services are that are available, and you need to be able to access the NIHR to do that. So we do have a, a, a study support service that all companies can get involved in, all companies can make inquiries, and we should be able to direct you to the right source of information across the NIHR network where you'll be able to get the right level of clinical support, but also the right kind of academic advice around research. So there's a fantastic opportunity there for you to be involved with the NIHR. I'm going to stop talking now because we've got a demonstration, because one of the things that we've done as part of our development of our approach towards digital is to do some joint work with um, IQVIA, um, UMOTIF, uh, and EMIS, just to demonstrate the potential of how we can develop things in the future. And I've got Mick Mullane, who's our uh, digital innovation lead within the NIHR Clinical Research Network, to take us through a, a process. Mick. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, can we just flick through to the last slide that we had? Uh, uh, that's it. Skip through. So uh, this process came about when I was talking to the, uh, the wonderful Brian Clancy from IQVIA. And he said, Mick, apps are the future. That's where it is. Uh, and I said, we know, Brian. That's why we designed, built a research app and deployed it to all our own staff so we could explore some of those issues around data, tracking, and consent uh, that are involved with uh, uh, clinical research. So we, we all knew that we could talk about this wonderful future uh, and how it's going to arrive and we'll, we'll have therapeutic apps. But I said to Brian, look, this is the challenge, Brian. Let's do something. Let's find a small little thing that we can do and see how it can work. So Brian then used um, a couple of contacts and uh, put us in contact with EMIS, uh, provider of GP systems and a smaller um, company that developed apps uh, called Umotif, and they did a, a project called Cloudy with a Chance of Pain. Anyone heard of that one? You know, record your symptoms, and then you can tag it against the weather. So, you know, does the weather really affect your sciatica and bad back, that sort of thing. So a bit of lightweight, fun research. So uh, what we did was um, we, we decided to stitch all these things together and come up with a, a, a process that makes it really easy uh, for the GP to be able to identify someone who's eligible to take part in research, okay? So how it basically works is you wander into your GP and you say, well, doctor, I've had this bad back and I've had this bad back for ages. Doctor types in bad back, bad back for ages. You can tell I'm not of a clinical background. Um, and then the system will pop up and say, hey, that, that Mick Mullane is eligible to take part in clinical research. So we'll just flick over to the, the live demo. Uh, so this is the EMIS uh, front screen. You can see it looks like a pretty traditional uh, database type of thing. So I go in and complain about my bad back. And then a little thing will pop up in the corner there. And it says, you know, hey, this patient might be eligible for a study. So all the GP has to do is click on more details up on the left. And he can actually then prescribe the app, okay? Goes to app script which is an IQVIA product, and says, hey, you might be able to take part in this study. And it's, uh, it's titled, We've Got Your Back. Okay? And it's a simple, observational uh, app. And we'll have a look at that in a, in a couple of moments. 
So what the GP can do is just uh, prescribe that from there. So if we just go step through the process, next steps, fires it across, and uh, it comes through on your device, and you get, pick it up and go into the app. So what happens is you kind of got consent for contact because you're there with a the GP saying, is it okay, are you interested in this? And then when you're in the app, you've got a dedicated and complete consent process that you can take up in your own time, okay? So here we see the consent process. I agree, continue. So we flip through. We've got things like uh, EQ5D stuff because we want to develop equivalency. But I know something that came up earlier, uh, we were talking about some of the things that we use now and some of the things that consumers might want to use in the future, and they're different things. Okay, so no one wants to, to uh, necessarily go through dry and dusty um, uh, surveys, uh, but um, you know, we need to put them in there so you have that trust in the data. Okay. So you can fill in the, the survey, and here we go to the uh, Umotif basic app. And the way it works is you put your finger on one of these segments, and you can drag out how you feel today, what you've eaten today, how you've slept last night, all those things. So it's a real nice experience. So it's not really about back pain research. It's about the fact that we can make it very simple to deploy your idea to a very large audience. So the EMIS system, the protocol can be put in there. And we've done this before where an EMIS protocol will come up and say, this person's eligible for research, and then we send them a letter. With this way of working, we, whilst the person's still on surgery, we can send them a link to the app, download the app, and then start. There's also the capability in there for that person taking part in that research to allow that data to be linked back to their GP record. Okay? We're not talking about um, massive amounts of anonymized data. What we're talking about is talking to the patient and you're saying, are you okay with this? And at any time they can say, you can stop that process. The actual link and the data that goes past is anonymized, that's explained, but the key thing is we ask the patient for permission, and it's about putting the patient at the, the heart of the experience. So that's about it. We hope to be recruiting in the next couple of months. Um, so if you talk to us in two or three months' time, we'll be on this stage telling you about these successful ways of getting clinical research uh, to a wider audience. Thanks very much.